Hello, everyone. When I wrote the story that I'm about to read for you, I never intended it to be heard by an audience. In fact, I wrote it and left it in a file thinking that, well, sometime in the future, a family member may read it and possibly find something of value in its message. For personal reasons, I changed my mind. My speech isn't what it used to be, but if you'll bear with me, I'll do my best. The story is titled, No Guarantees. No Guarantees by Robert Mormill. The little brown and black dog with the white tip on his tail needed a home. The lady he lived with said she was no longer able to look after the little bloke, so Jim took him in. My brother-in-law, Jim, was a gruff but kindly man who'd been twice married. Both marriages ended in divorce and he lived alone on a small rural property on a quiet back road not far from a large coastal city. It was thought the little brown dog would be an ideal companion for a lonely man living in a quiet area with no neighbours and few visitors. Jim was a good man. But because of his abrupt way of speaking and reacting to other people, he was often misjudged. Jim was not a true dog lover. He was never cruel or neglectful towards the little brown dog. But when he spoke to his new housemate, he did so in a harsh or authoritarian tone and showed no overt affection towards his new companion. To his credit, Jim fed the little dog well, ensured he had a nice warm bed and took him to the vet a couple of times a year for grooming and a health check. He named the little brown dog Fritz. When Fritz arrived at Jim's place, we guessed he was about two or three years old and the local vet said Fritz appeared to be a mixture of breeds possibly some Jack Russell Terrier with a definite strain of Dachshund in his ancestry which explained his short legs and longish body. Fritz settled in well. He was not a dog that demanded attention. He was happy to sit quietly at Jim's feet and snooze on the old sofa on the back patio of the cottage. Occasionally, the little dog would explore the bush close to the house, but he was he was not a wanderer. He, he knew where home was and, and never strayed more than a 100 yards from the house. Fritz was a good watchdog and barked when strangers were close, but he rarely barked without reason. He was just a good little dog to have around. While Jim was at work, Fritz would sit and wait in the car fort or doze on the old sofa. He always welcomed Jim home with a a few wags of the tail and a couple of subdued yelps. The little dog took a liking to me from the first time we met. I was sitting on the old sofa at the back of the house chatting to Jim when Fritz jumped up and sat next to me. I scratched under his chin and patted him a few times. (laughs) He wagged his tail and rested his head on my thigh. Jim said that was the first time he'd seen Fritz get close to a visitor. Jim said, He usually ignores people, Bob. There was a large fig tree at the back of Jim's house and whenever I visited to harvest a few figs, the little brown dog would be my silent companion. 
following a step behind me, never demanding attention, simply content to keep me company. Later, I'd sit on the old sofa and Jim would sit in his favourite chair enjoying a beer or a smoke, and while we talked, Fritz would sit quietly beside me, snoozing. A few years after Fritz arrived at Jim's place on one of their regular visits to the vet, Jim said the little dog seemed to have a problem urinating. That's when the vet found the cancer, a small, nasty, malignant growth on the sheath of Fritz's penis. Ouch. The vet cut the tumour away and and said, the patient will be in pain for a couple of weeks if the pain causes him to whine continuously. He may need a mild sedative. A sedative wasn't necessary. Fritz endured the pain without a whimper. He healed well, but within a few months, more tumours appeared, small ones on various parts of his body. Most were not considered problematic other than a large, rapidly developing, malignant lump on his left foreleg. Jim sought the best veterinary advice there was available and was told that one option was the surgical removal of the big tumour from the little bloke's leg. Another option was to take the whole leg, with no guarantees that would contain the cancer. Jim decided to have the large lump removed. The operation was expensive with no guarantee the tumour would not grow back. Jim was worried about the rapid growth of the tumour and feared it would eventually cripple the little dog. He opted to go ahead with the surgery and we shared the cost. Again, the vet warned that in the weeks following the operation, Fritz would be in extreme pain. The surgical wound left a, a large raw area on the little dog's foreleg where, where most of the skin had been removed. The affected area was protected by a large tight bandage which, which Jim changed regularly. He really looked after the little fella. As I said, Jim wasn't a dog lover, but he wasn't a cruel man. He had a very, very kind heart. Removing and replacing the bandage caused Fritz a a lot of pain, but the little dog never pulled away. It took months, but eventually the leg wound healed. A year or so later, to our absolute dismay, another tumour began to grow on the same leg. Jim said that Fritz had suffered enough, there'd be no more surgery. The little dog would be looked after until he was immobile, and then he would be put to sleep. I watched in admiration as Fritz adjusted to the tumour that was growing on his leg. The little bloke did not show any signs of being in pain and, and happily interacted with our two dogs. He trotted around the house and explored the bush. Even as the tumour grew, Fritz was eating and sleeping well. He was comfortable and enjoying life. Jim had installed a small doggy door to enable Fritz to come and go, and as the tumour grew, the little dog had a problem getting his affected leg through the small opening, but he adjusted his entry method. He was smart, and with care, he was able to negotiate his way in and out. 
A couple of years passed, and although the lump on his leg was the size of a golf ball, Fritz seemed otherwise healthy and happy. The little brown dog was about 10 years old when Jim, who was a heavy smoker, was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. As was his way, he handled the cancer and his imminent death bravely. That was Jim, stoic and without complaint. In one of our final conversations, he he shook my hand and said, Mate, I know you'll look after Fritzy when I'm gone. Following Jim's death, Fritz settled into our house with without much trouble. We have two D-sex Jack Russell Terriers, a male and a female. And apart from an occasional snap from our male Jack Russell, the three dogs adjusted well to living together. The tumour on Fritz's leg grew, albeit at a slower rate, but the little dog that someone said had the face of a wise old man was bright and happy and appeared to be free of pain. During the day, he would curl up on his day bed on the back patio where he enjoyed a snooze in the morning sun. At night, he slept in his night bed in our living room. Around 4pm every day, he would bark once to let us know he was ready for dinner. (laughs) He and I became the best of mates. Some days I would have an urge to drive to the hills or spend a day exploring the back roads of the agricultural hinterland. On such occasions, Fritz and I would take off with, with no destination in mind, stopping at bakeries in small country towns to buy a freshly baked pie or a couple of sausage rolls for lunch, after which we would find a quiet place under a shady tree by a country road to eat in peace, enjoying each other's company and with the sight and sounds of native birds adding moments of pleasure to our unplanned outings. Another year passed and despite his swollen foreleg and six or seven smaller lumps on his body, Fritz was contented, but he was having eye problems. Within a few months, my brave, uncomplaining little mate was almost totally blind. Well, thankfully, Fritz was able to hear and still had his sense of smell. Gosh, he was tough. I watched in admiration as the little fella adjusted, carefully navigating his way through the furniture in the garden. Oh, he had a few mishaps, sometimes bumping into a door that was closed or becoming momentarily disoriented, but he never panicked. He could still find the doggy door and seemed to have no trouble moving around the garden. And if he lost his bearings, he was smart. He would, he'd stay still and bark once or twice to, to let us know we needed help. But there was no whining or whinging or barking for no reason. He simply continued to get on with life. I often sat watching him snoozing in his bed near my feet and marvelled at his ability to cope with whatever challenges life threw at him. I thought I had an ear infection. The small, soft lump under my right earlobe was not painful, nor was it uncomfortable to touch. I treated the ear with antibiotic drops, but the soft, small lump increased in size. I started to worry. Our GP suggested a scan. My wife arranged it. A few days later, 
it was suggested I have a biopsy. Within a day or two, I was told I had cancer. I was shattered and frightened. I was referred to an ear, nose and throat specialist to confirm the initial diagnosis. I had cancer of the parotid gland and lymph nodes. The recommended treatment was surgical removal of the cancer and the diseased tissue, followed by radiation treatment. I asked about survival rates and post-operative side effects. I learned that cancer is an unpredictable disease and in treating it there are no guarantees. But there were some long-term survivors who I met who had undergone the surgery and the recommended follow-up treatment and were leading full lives. I was warned that following the surgery and radiation, one side of my face would be numb and partially paralysed. That paralysis would stay. I would have slurred speech as well and palsy. I would lose some of my sense of taste, have some hair loss, be scarred and suffer from a sore throat, a dry mouth and loss of appetite. Less than a week after my initial consultation with the specialist, I underwent seven hours of surgery. Nine days after surgery, I went home. When I looked into the mirror, I saw a person that had a twisted, swollen face, a a drooping mouth, a large, hard lump under the chin and a, a scarred neck and shoulder. And I was unable to close my right eye. I lapsed into black depression. My life, my appearance and my speech were altered forever. I was alive, but for how long? What if the cancer had spread? What if the surgeon missed something? What if the cancer returned? Thirty days after the surgery, I commenced radiation treatment. Five days a week for six weeks. During that time, I saw people of all ages with all sorts of cancers. Those I spoke to were brave and uncomplaining. I felt guilty about the feelings that I was carrying. While awaiting treatment, we exchanged smiles and snippets of conversation about side effects and survival rates. Many of the patients were half my age and younger. I felt a sense of guilt. I was having sleepless nights worrying about what may happen in the months or years ahead, but I'd lived my life. I was living the bonus years while many of my fellow patients were were being robbed of their dreams and the best years of their lives as, as they fought this terrible disease. After six weeks of radiation, my face was bright red as though I'd suffered extreme sunburn. I'd lost muscle and dropped eight kilograms in weight. My throat and tongue and the inside of my mouth were burned and there was a constant metallic taste in my mouth. All of these symptoms and side effects were uncomfortable and occasionally painful, but but they were nothing I couldn't handle. What I was having difficulty coping with was in my mind. I experienced dark moments contemplating self-harm, fear of return of the cancer and despair over how the disease had wrecked my life. I became a recluse. I locked everyone out. 
I received wonderful support from my wife and several friends who were cancer survivors and some family members called in, but for much of the time in the months following surgery, I asked to be left alone. I spent long periods in a darkened room or sat for hours in front of a television screen, staring but not seeing. But someone was determined not to leave me alone. Fritz never left my side. Despite being blind and hindered by the large slump on his foreleg, the little dog was getting on with life. He'd learned to live with the impairments that fate had thrown at him. He'd learned to live with all of the privations that came with major surgery and cancerous tumours. He'd just gone on with things. Whenever I left my bedroom, he was waiting for me at the foot of the stairs, tail wagging, bouncing around on his short, stumpy little legs, telling me how important I was to him. Later, we would sit on the back patio, I'd sip coffee and watch birds flit in and out of the shrubs while Fritz did his daily exploration. On one such day, after a sleepless night of fear and self-pity, I sat watching Fritz roaming the garden. It was a lovely day, a chill in the air, a cloudless sky, a soft winter sunshine. Fritzy rolled on the lawn, wobbling from side to side, scratching his back on the coarse grass, emitting little growling sounds of pleasure, after which he stood and shook himself, (laughs) an effort that caused him to momentarily stumble. I watched as he regained his balance and set off to carefully navigate his way around the shrubs and potted plants, sniffing here and there, stopping occasionally to listen, then enjoying another roll on the grass. After a drink of water and some dog biscuits, he he waddled over and laid by my side. I reached down and gently stroked his neck and shoulders. He responded by wagging his tail and resting his head on my knee. When he did so, he looked up at me and I looked into his sightless, opaque eyes. I reached down and felt the lump on his leg. He didn't flinch or try to pull away and instead, although it must have been painful, he he licked my hand. Then he curled up next to my feet, contented. It was that day, at that moment, I realised that self-pity and depressing thoughts and endless questions of what if are pointless. No one gets a guarantee of a perfect life or an assurance of how long it'll last. The best we can do is to live life while we can with what we have, not only for ourselves but for those we love. It took a little brown dog with a positive attitude to teach me that. As he aged, Fritzy lost the use of his hind legs and his body weight decreased at an alarming rate. The vet said the little fellow was now full of tumours and he was about 16 or 17 years old with no possibility of recovery. He was riddled with internal tumours. A few minutes later, on the advice of the vet, Fritz was put to sleep. Forever. As I write this story, there are tears on the keyboard. 
I loved that little dog. He was more than a pet, he was a mate. And in his own courageous, uncomplaining way of accepting and dealing with the pain and challenges life threw at him, Fritzy was an inspiration. My four-legged hero.